Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 199. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Ina Coveney. Hi, Kip. Thank you so much for having me. Well, the pleasure is mine, although the topic may not be particularly pleasant to get into. You and I once had a really great conversation about some work you're doing and some observations you've made over your professional career about workplaces and some phenomena that make them unpleasant, untenable, difficult to experience, and per the title of this episode, toxic. And as someone who's young and just joining the workforce, and also, despite bouts of cynicism, someone who is, I think more often than not, an idealist and hopes for the best in other people, in the systems we live in, in our world at large, it was really interesting to hear some of your thoughts and ideas and as someone I find very articulate, I really wanted to know what you've observed and also if you've seen any changes, etc. So as I say to many guests, where did your mind go when I first said that I wanted to discuss this topic, this definition of a toxic workplace? So the first thing that I wanted to say is that not everybody has the same experience of the workplace, right? So I don't think it would be fair for me to characterize the American workplace as toxic and as a terrible place. There's a lot of people listening who are like, I've never experienced that. So I wanted to open this up a little bit and tell you that I was one of those people who thought everything is fine. People are talking about toxic workplaces and they're talking about their own experience. I've never really felt it. And it wasn't until probably a year and a half ago that I actually started to feel it. And in hindsight, started looking back at my 15-year career and realizing that I was in those environments, but my mind was not translating the inputs in that way. So I wanted to really be fair to everyone listening that, number one, you may not be experiencing it because in your workplace, it may not be there. Or you may not be experiencing it because your mind is not open to those concepts. Your mind works in a different way. I was one of you. And number three, you could be one of those people that is definitely in those environments and you should really think about how to address this slash get out of it slash decide to do nothing about it. But I really think it's something that everybody should keep in mind as you go on about your day. So those were the first thoughts that came to mind. I particularly appreciate that caveat because I've certainly been victim to the WebMD phenomena where we apply symptoms we're feeling to larger, potentially fatal and dangerous phenomena that may not be accurate. And I wouldn't be surprised if people hear what we will define as toxic work environments and retroactively apply that to what they've lived and experienced. And it's important, so I appreciate you doing this, to cut that off at the head, because paranoia can be toxic, for lack of a better word, and really insidious. You also used the word translate, which I especially love because we don't all experience the same world. I've often felt that language is one of our closest ways to understand one another, but the beauty, and at the same time the frustration, in the human experience is that we are all different from one another, tweaks and variations from a common template, DNA of course. And on that point, talking about translation and language, 
What I think is essential in a healthy workplace, as is true of any relationship, system, or family, is communication. And while communication is present throughout our lives at every facet and point of our day, not everyone devotes the same attention or energy to polishing their communication. Many of us use shorthand. Many of us are frustrated by persistent questions, people trying to understand our language better. And there are, of course, people who don't want to communicate with others, whether they are introverts or perpetually dissatisfied, bitter, any number of things that might cause people to shy away from human interaction. And I've been thinking a lot about that in this topic. Can a workplace be healthy without communication, even if there's no animosity between coworkers? And I would turn that question to you before answering it myself. I have worked in places and I just wrote down three different kinds of environments that I have experienced where communication comes into play in a way that you would not expect from the company's point of view, because I, I always think about what can they be doing to create a better culture in their systems? Because as an employee, I only have limited amount of influence in the culture. I am just experiencing it. I may be adding to it. So if I'm experiencing something that is not desirable, I am going to be looking to the company to address these issues. After all, they control the environment that I'm in, right? And that every other employee is interacting with each other in. So I wanted to tell you about three different places where I've worked and how they have handled it. And these are just symptoms of our current American life. Number one, I worked at a place where they said all the right things. They were for women equality. They were for treating everyone exactly the same way. But then the things they did did not really reflect those values. So if you were only listening to what they said, you may be misinterpreting their actions as, oh, maybe they just forgot about that. Maybe they were not conscious of this. Or it makes you believe that those are the right actions. It's a very confusing topic for people who experience it. So if somebody's telling me we're treating everyone equally, and then I see other male coworkers getting promoted over me, even though I am the most qualified, what they'll come back and tell me is, oh, well, it was just, we evaluated everyone equally. So I'm like, oh, okay, yes, then I understand. So they're saying one thing, they're doing something else, but they're kind of gaslighting me into believing that there were valid reasons for it. Things like that, right? So this was a place where we're going to say the right things, actions don't really match it. But we're going to explain it in a way that you'll think that our actions really match our words. It's not true. It's just a big gaslight experience. Place number two, they said the right things. They did the right things to the best of their ability, but they ignored the American reality, the society's impact on every single individual. So even though they had systems in place to make sure there was no discrimination and that everybody was being looked at equally, it mattered that each person is living in a country where these inequalities are germane to our experience. So it would be wrong to ignore how people are feeling every day and getting input from the media every day. That company was trying to do all the right things, but you cannot ignore the bigger environment that we all live in. And number three was a company that decided to bring everything out in the open. 
to say we are not doing the right things. We want to talk to everyone and make sure that we are doing the right things. And when that opened up, it opened up a Pandora's box of feelings, of everyone feeling, okay, they're going to listen to me now. So all of these grievances came to light, not only against employees in the same company, against the leadership, against the management. And management was not prepared to handle this. They didn't know what to do with it. They were not properly trained. There was no HR department to even keep people in check. And everything just ended up degrading. A year later, all the women that had started in that company that year had left. So about a toxic environment, the company has a lot to do with it, but there's only so much they can do and so many systems they can put in place if we're not changing the reality of our media, of how we're treating women at home, of how we're treating our young girls, how we're treating our boys. I heard Amy Schumer's SNL monologue a couple of weeks ago. It's not like I'm a huge fan of Amy Schumer, but she said something that really hit me. It was in a comedic fashion. She said, you know, when we're little, we are told that, you know, if a boy is picking on us, then what's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, he must like you, right? He's pulling on your pigtails because he likes you. No, why are we not teaching boys to be nicer to girls? Why are we teaching girls to try to protect themselves from the predators, right? All of this to say that communication is all well and good, but we cannot ignore that we are all living in the same ecosystem where all of these factors are coming in and there is nothing a company by itself can do to help that situation. It's something that we all have to address as a mass, as a country, to go against certain behavior and pro-others. For whatever reason, your three examples call to mind a lesson from a history class I had in high school in which we were studying modern world history. And specifically in the year 1848, there were revolutionary sentiments in England, France, and Russia. And those revolutions were handled very distinctly. Although my history teacher would scoff at me now, I remember one allowed the people to express their concerns fully. The other found a measured way to maintain power, but also hear public concerns and criticisms. And the third was very brutal in tamping down any dissent or disagreement. And I think the example you gave of the abundance of grievances and what sounds like a cacophony of complaints really, to me, feels like an uncontrolled revolutionary sentiment without direction, without interest and dialogue, and certainly change is difficult, whether it's in work or in a larger culture. But I do think, looking at my own preferences, and I would love to hear what the audience thinks, that a measured approach, which both allows for input but also respects a degree of authority, is perhaps the best way forward. All of what we're saying, though, is really subjective because workplaces are different. A startup is certainly going to behave and grow differently than a larger corporation, and also different sectors, different industries have distinct protocol and social norms. By now, we've all heard of very lucrative tech companies that have spas and workout rooms and a full kitchen for staff to enjoy and prepare meals. In some ways, the modern workplace, at least for some of us, is becoming more like a home away from home, which gets back to the idea of toxicity. Is there a threshold past which our desire to avoid toxicity turns into a lack of productivity? 
Certainly, I've been critical of capitalism in the past, and I think workplaces don't always remember our humanity, but it's also important to remember that you're making an exchange at work. You're putting in time, your knowledge, and skills to produce some kind of a product or end result, and while it would be ideal if we all loved our jobs, that isn't always the case. So I would turn it back to you, Ina. How would you distinguish between maybe healthy levels of stress that come from a job and the fact that a job is not there to pamper you and a particularly toxic environment? I have a lot to say about that. Let's first address what you just brought up about there being a trade-off between productivity and a company pampering you. I do not believe that we should put respect in the pampering category. I really think this is something that should be ubiquitous in every industry, in every company, and it should not be seen as a soft HR issue if somebody has a grievance of harassment. It doesn't even have to get there of just creating a toxic workplace because somebody is yelling at you, because somebody is belittling you, because you're being passed on for promotions when you have given everything you have to the company. So it's very important to be very careful with our language. When we say pampering, when we say trade-off for productivity, this is something that I have heard management say. Why are we spending time talking about this? Why are we still doing this? Why are we giving these people a forum, these people in quotes, right? These women, a forum to talk about this. We have things to do. We have deadlines to meet. We should be focused on the work. And what they're not realizing is that it's all work. A company can't separate their productivity from the satisfaction of their employees because there is a very real and straight connection between your productivity, your happiness at work, and the turnover at work. No company wants to have to replace every employee every year or every couple of years. You want turnover rates that are 10 years, 15 years. You want people who are veterans, who know your products inside and out, and who are there because they want to, because they want to help you. They want to get up every day and go to work for you. How are you going to do that if you're not tackling these workplace satisfaction issues? When you say satisfaction, when I say satisfaction, positive feelings come to mind. So it sounds like, oh, the company is just trying to appease me or trying to make me feel better about something when really shouldn't be like that. It should be, I want to go to work to feel respected and to feel like there is a place where I can go if something did not go right in a meeting, if somebody yelled at me, if somebody was not treating me with respect or treating someone else with respect, there has to be a process for me to go and say, that happened. That's an undesirable situation for the company, not just for me, not just for the other employee that was there. The company should not want these things to happen. So if any company is spending way too much time on these issues, it sounds like they have a much bigger problem. This should not be something that they're tackling little by little, request by request. It should be something that is part of the culture and not something that they feel they have to appease people and that is a waste of their time. I'm so happy you use the word appease because that shows a very distinct opinion of your coworkers. If you're in management or authority of your employees, the idea that you have to appease them begins to cast them in an aggressive or bellicose state 
And it's certainly ideal if you cooperate, but some red flags definitely exist if your pre-existing perception of people you work with or who work for you is that hostility is going to be there. They're going to resent you. And to come back to the tech sector and all of the benefits and perks they provide, I do fundamentally believe, to nod to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that if you show not only respect for your employees, but legitimate and appropriate interest in their lives and the things they care about, I believe that will not only satisfy them, but humanize, encourage, and inspire them. To come back to language, I think our best abilities are the ones that cost us very little. Our ability to relate to one another as people is so profound. On my sixth day of my current job, at the beginning of my second week, an employee who had been there for 17 years introduced himself to me and apologized for not doing so sooner, and of course, asking a bit about me and why I was at this company, learned about the podcast, and became a really passionate fan. But even if he hadn't, the lengthy email he sent me the day after he first listened set a strong tone for this new job, and if anything, set the bar very high for other co-workers of mine. This person is not a manager of mine, nor even someone in my team, but the fact that he showed such sincere interest really touched me, and I've told countless friends that story when they ask about how I've been, and that I think is the power of a healthy workplace. Yes, it takes work, but I think when we are stagnant or apathetic, we slide into some toxic behaviors because we go into survival mode. We don't think about the group, we don't ask other people questions, we stop trying to make friends, and yes, you can't always be incredibly friendly with coworkers, but you can be human with them, and I feel that's one of the best antidotes and preventative measures against toxicity in the workplace. It's so funny that you would say that because in one of my jobs, I was really enjoying working with this one person and I had just started there a few months back. We were having lunch every day and I was going to get married maybe a year from that point. I had just gotten engaged. So I was looking at, you know, invitations and all that stuff. And I decided, you know, from now until a year from now, she and I are going to be great friends. So I'm going to invite her to my wedding. So I did. I told her, hey, you know, I'm going to send you an invitation. I know, you know, from now, a year from now, it'll feel weird to not invite you because we see each other every day and we hang out every day. That made her feel so uncomfortable because we did not know each other very well. At that point, we had been spending all this time together, but really she did not feel the friend vibe the way that I did. So she basically declined my invitation right there. She said, like, that's very generous of you, but I don't think so. And she stopped having lunch with me. So there is a line to walk because it didn't make me stop being friendly. I know people listening. Some may say like, oh, that stinks. And some may say like, yeah, it serves you right for being so forward. But uh, with someone else that I worked with, his girlfriend would sell T-shirts online. And he told me about that. So I went to her website and I ordered a couple and I still wear them. They're great pajama shirts. I bought them because he told me that that's his girlfriend and that's her business. So I said, okay, I'm going to buy a couple. Send me the link. So this is me being friendly. This is me kind of putting myself out there. And I'm still great friends with this last person. The first person, we do not even keep in touch on Facebook. 
So it is a gamble putting yourself out there. So I wanted to give you those examples because when you go up to someone and you ask them, hey, how are things going? Let's go have lunch. It's a risk. You're making yourself very vulnerable. So it is a hard thing to do. Even for me that somebody's as outgoing as I am, I am very afraid of rejection, but it doesn't make me stop doing it. So I think you have a really, really good point. I love it that you said that because it matters. If you're working in a place where you see these people every day, I'm not saying go and become their best friends, but reach out, get to know them a little better. Take them to lunch is a very normal thing to do within work confines. It doesn't mean, you know, you're going to be hanging out outside of work necessarily. But to get to know their side of the story is so important. And it's not something that the company can impose on you to do. It's something that is up to you as an employee to really get to know the people around you. So for people listening, if you have been at a company for a while and you don't really have this relationship with people around you, is it too late to reach out? Would it feel too awkward to say, hey, do you want to go grab lunch? And as a quick interjection, if you don't want to extend the offer, would it not be more awkward when your company schedules a social event or several encouraging you to break the ice with these people and you haven't done so yet? To me, there's agency in doing it on your own, because when company gatherings happen, it won't be uncomfortable small talk. Exactly. So one thing that I used to love to do in my last company, I would just wonder. So my days were packed with meetings, right? From the moment I got there until the moment I left. So there were times that I had half an hour between meetings and I didn't know what to do with myself. I don't have enough time to go back to my desk and start a new task before my next meeting. So what I would do is I would just wander the halls and I would find someone that were probably busy, <laughs> but I would find someone who would meet my eye and I would just sit and chat with them, just ask them how their day was going. And that really helped me solidify a lot of friendships in that company. I walked out of that company with more friends than I've had in any other company. And I really give credit to this type of action. And to tie it all up to this toxicity in the environment, it made us a much stronger group to fight the toxicity. Because now that we were comfortable with each other, we were not afraid of speaking up if we saw someone being rude, being disrespectful, interrupting somebody else at meetings. We felt more comfortable calling it out and say, wait, can you let her finish her point? Those are things that a company cannot institute on you. It's something that every employee has responsibility for. One thing that the companies can do that is a preventative measure is to really be careful in their screening process of employees. Shonda Rhimes has a quote in her last book that says she doesn't hire jerks. Now, she didn't use the word jerks, right? She was a little bit more explicit, but that is a super important rule that you as the management have the responsibility to hire people who are going to be a good cultural fit. Being a good cultural fit is not code for hiring people who all look the same, act the same. This is not an invitation for discrimination. It's an invitation for hiring people who are team players. It's hiring people who are going to play well with others, who are going to be respectful of other people's opinions, and who are not going to be afraid to speak up, and who are not finger pointers. None of the things I just said have anything to do with somebody's race or gender or sexual orientation. This has a lot to do with having people who will respect each other no matter the circumstances, who you're not going to be afraid of speaking your mind in front of. All that has a name is called psychological safety. 
And it is super important and it's a responsibility of management to institute psychological safety in the workplace. And this is one of the best ways that they can do it to prevent a toxic environment from taking over the workplace. On that hiring practice that Shonda Rhimes describes, the concept that floats to the top of my mind is one of work-life balance. And like a lot of people, I've usually associated that term with how one spends one's energy to an extent time inside of work and outside of work. But as I'm constantly thinking about the concept of balance and how we can balance, what you just said to me illustrates a benefit of finding a work-life balance within one's place of work, acknowledging that people do have to collaborate for tasks, but also that they should fit well into the work culture, into the unspoken ideals and practices that may not be evident or visible on someone's resume or even in their top accomplishments once they graduate from a company. But we are, both beautifully and frustratingly so, human beings. And until artificial intelligence replaces us in the workplace, I do think it's a responsibility, like you said, to understand other people. This, of course, doesn't go past their comfort levels, and if people don't want to open up, that's their prerogative. But earlier in this conversation, you had referred to the idea of adding to the culture as an individual. Certainly management can do a lot of these things, but you do have authority and agency as a member of a system, and I believe that's always true. It's not always going to be easy or pleasant, but referring back to this job I mentioned earlier, one of my earliest practices was to tell quirky, arguably unfunny jokes to the employees around me to see how they'd react, and if we thought similarly about the world, or, as I think the realm of comedy often reveals, if they're willing to see the world through my eyes for the duration of a joke or a remark. And it has given me an avenue into more authentic conversations. In a lot of ways, I'm a bizarre person who's constantly thinking and asking questions, much to the vexation of many people around me, and I don't have to be friends with everyone at work, I accept that, but I'd like to believe that they know what they're getting when I have a conversation with them. And I think authenticity is another way to combat or even prevent workplace toxicity. And while I'm thrilled we've talked more about positive means of resisting a toxic workplace to get into some of the negatives that actually define and constitute workplace toxicity, some of what I had found in research and in reflection include drama, people with destructive intentions, people who pursue unethical or illegal behaviors towards or around their co-workers, and those really stand out to me, especially drama. The idea that emotions get out of hand, and to come back to communication, that it doesn't happen at all, or ideas are miscommunicated, and I find drama to be one of the most pernicious phenomena. It follows us from childhood to the grave. People will always have opinions of you, and gossip and rumors start to creep in, or negative stories that never go away. And Ina, I'd love your thoughts on these points. Let me just say one thing about drama. First of all, I hate the word. Dramatic is one of those words that has been used against women for a while, to call them emotional, to really belittle their perspectives, right? So I hate the word dramatic, calling anybody dramatic if they're creating turbulence in the workplace. But I see your point in people who engage in gossip, who engage in this type of creating a toxic environment, even you know behind your back, 
all that backstabbing, I think it really all just goes back to being a good cultural fit. If those people who create this type of environment slip through the cracks of employment practices, slip through the cracks of the hiring process, there is stuff the company can still do, but it requires there having been a good culture to begin with so that people can identify the problem, raise it up. There has to be a process to raise this issue so that management can actually handle it appropriately and give this person feedback. So these are not things that you're going to fix once you have a whole fleet of employees who engage in this type of behavior. You've just hired the whole box of bad apples. What are you going to do? It's something that the company has to look at from a self-preservation perspective. If the company is going to survive, culture can't be the soft issue that you let the junior HR rep manage. It's something that has to be in the forefront of the company. Take it seriously. And most importantly, understand that you as a CEO or you as the manager may not be trained to create this kind of organization. So it's knowing what you don't know and bringing in help to help you actually create a good environment. Now, I actually wanted to take this back to UKIP because I don't think you're bizarre. I really think that when you go into an environment, you are looking for the best case scenario. You're looking for people. You're doing everything we're talking about. You're trying to really find your tribe, right? Who is going to engage with me? And I wanted to ask you, how much of that do you think has to do with the fact that Work is something that you do. It's not something you are, right? The fact that you have a podcast tells me that you're the kind of person that is looking for a lot more in life. So I would love to know your perspective as someone who is unique. Not everybody thinks this way. People go to work, they come back home, they make dinner, they watch TV until midnight, and then they go to bed and they get up the next day and do it all over again. It seems to me that you are looking for more. So what is your experience in the workplace trying to find other people who are like you, who have a different perspective of the workplace in terms of work-life balance? Well, I really appreciate the question, and I'm also humbled by your kind words. The first thing that comes to mind as I think about my current job is that I don't necessarily love myself. It's something I'm working on. But relevant to that statement, I do love the fact that I get to be myself. As I learn more about this person, whether he is or is not bizarre, there is a certain thought process and a fixation on curiosity and how other people think that is perpetual. To your point about work not necessarily being who you are, more so what you do, I believe there's a Venn diagram there and some crossover between what we do, who we become, and who we are in the present. And so in bringing this person to a workplace, whether he is or is not bizarre, I know how much joy I derive from being curious, to put one word to my personality, and where I currently work, a place I'd like to keep anonymous for listeners who don't know, I joined that company because it's a step in the right direction towards fostering curiosity, in my opinion, and I was of the perception, and I think this is born true, that a lot of my coworkers are likely there because they believe in similar ideals. This company produces media, if that narrows it down a bit, and often media that is informative. And to me, that speaks to a desire for and a pursuit of truth. And certainly we get bogged down in emails and Excel spreadsheets, but I'd like to think that my role in that company, or my role in any friendships, however uncomfortable, is to remind people of what they're really after, and who they really are, and also what they think. 
Because in environments like work, our brains don't always have time or give themselves the leeway to truly think. They process information and establish tasks and orders of operation, but before the workplace ever existed, our species was wandering and wandering, and we were able to do that because of our minds. So when you say that I'm someone who wants something more out of life, absolutely. But I also think there's a beautiful truth hidden very close to the surface in all of us that we are very much connected to other people and to versions of ourselves that could be more satisfied, that could feel encouraged and inspired. And I don't know that I always have the language to communicate that. But I have been proud of myself in this current work environment for opening conversations, asking fellow employees questions that I hope are thoughtful, some of which have been well-received, others of which have certainly caught people off guard. But those are my thoughts on your question. I love it that you said that people want to connect, that this is something that we all have in us. And going with the theme that we've been talking about of people working in workplaces that are more toxic. A lot of people want to connect, but they're looking around and looking at their peers and realizing this is not going to happen. It's not going to happen here. So as much as we're encouraging people to reach out, to be friends, to make friends, to take people out to lunch, for some people, it's just not going to happen. They just don't see their tribe at work. So I really commend you for having the podcast because you are going out and making those connections. So regardless of what's going on at work, you're going out and making these connections for yourself. What I wanted to get the audience to know is that we hear you. We know that you're out there. We're not just talking to people who like see like the rosy side of sitting next to two people at work all day, every day who don't talk to you or who treat you poorly. We hear you. We know you're out there. And something that I do that I feel very passionate about is about helping people find that thing that helps them connect with other people which is why I'm here on this podcast, because I have created a business out of doing this, out of helping people find their passion. There are people out there who they're just going through the grind and they want something more. So what I give them is basically options. You first have to awaken that curiosity, right? To let them know it doesn't have to be this way. This doesn't have to be your life until you retire or until the kids are out of the house. You can do something now. You just basically choose to take this step in your life to make a change in your life. And I show you here are a few things that you can do. Starting a podcast is just one of them. There are many other things that you can do to connect, to find your people. I was just talking to someone in one of my Facebook groups. Her name is Jo Fitzgerald, and she has a website called anygreenthing.com. And it's basically an eco-friendly mall. You can go and buy things that are ecologically conscious. It's not mass-produced. It's quality over quantity. And she created this after having been out of the workforce for a little while. She was taking care of her kids. And it's something that means a lot to her. So she's putting herself out there. She's offering up opportunities to get these products out there. And she wants to be the face of giving people more eco-friendly options. And that is one of the things that really gives her joy, that really fills her bucket. And she's putting it out there for people and attracting an audience, attracting people who want to hear from her. And that way she creates a connection. This has nothing to do with a corporate job. Her kids don't have to be out of the house. She doesn't have to be retired for her to find the time to do this. What I do is I show people, hey, there are things that you can do. But the first step is to realize that just because you're in a job that you don't like, that is not your only option from now until you retire or now until you leave. 
if you're not happy in your job, there is something that you can do about this. A lot of people feel like they can't quit their jobs for many reasons, and they're all very valid reasons. We all have to believe the reasons why we make the decisions we make. But the truth of the matter is that we have a lot more control on our lives than we think. A lot of people will say, I shouldn't quit my job because I just started and it will look bad on resume. Well, if you go out on interviews and people want to hire you, how good was that excuse, right? People don't want to quit their jobs because they say that they're not going to get paid as much as they get paid now. Well, have you gone on interviews? Have you actually tested this theory? We all put ideas in our heads to try to not get out of where we are because it's uncomfortable to change things. But it doesn't mean that you have to put up with being unhappy where you are. So I wanted to just point out one more thing. I did have an episode where I talk about people who hate their jobs and what you can do to actually take back control. You can go visit it. It's at inacoveny.com slash YT14. YT stands for YouTube. It's actually a YouTube video because I really care about people not feeling stuck where they are. So going back to our toxic environments, you may have control over the environment. You may not, but you definitely have control over where your life takes you. And as I hope people have deduced your wisdom and insight through this conversation, if people do want to connect with you, reach out, learn more about your business, are there other places you'd have them go? Yes, absolutely. So I host a YouTube show. It's called Commuting Bites. And it's all about me in different stages of commuting. I could be on a train station or I could be walking to the train or I could be in my car. And I tell you a little bit of wisdom, right? And I pick a business myth or a workplace myth and then I bust it throughout the show. It's usually five minutes long. I tell you, this is the myth. This is the truth. This is an example of someone who's doing it right. This is what you can do right now. And I have a freebie at the end. It's usually a bonus for signing on to my mailing list. And the show, it's all about getting you out of your head and doing something more with your life because we all have that itch, right, that we want to scratch. We're just for some reason not giving ourselves permission to pursue it. We're just kind of getting hung up with, I don't have time. I don't have money. I'm just going to stay doing whatever it is that I'm doing. I'm on the right track. I'm just not going to focus on anything else. When in reality, our future self is begging us to do something about this now. So one of the things that I had in one of my latest episodes was, I want you to write a letter to yourself. You came from the future, from 10 years from now. What would you tell yourself now to start to make your life better, to make you feel more satisfied? Is it to quit that job? Is it to find another one? In these shows, I hope to give you enough information so that you can start making those decisions. To get the new episodes, you just subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just go to inacoveny.com slash YouTube, and that will take you there. That's just the easy link to get you there. Subscribe and click on the bell so that you get notifications on your phone when a new episode comes out. And what I did want people to know is that I have a challenge coming up that is designed to get you out of that rut and get you to actually do something. So it's going to be a five-day challenge and you need to sign up for it in order to get all of these little gold nuggets. So every day I'm going to give you about 15 minutes worth of homework so that you can get started on that thing that you've had in your mind for years that you're just not giving yourself permission to do. You definitely have 15 minutes a day to focus on this. And by the end of the week, you're going to have so much done. You're not even going to believe it. And the way you sign up is you go to inacoveny.com slash kip. That's for you, Kip. Go sign up. I would love to see you there. It's time to take control of your life 
it's time to start doing the thing you've been telling yourself to do for years. This is the universe inviting you to taking action on it now. So I hope to see you there. And before we close this episode, having made a number of points between the two of us, what would you like the audience to consider after listening to this conversation? I really just want people to know they have control. I was there. I was at a company where I felt like I couldn't leave. And all of the reasons were all in my head, but they all made a lot of sense to me. So I want you to challenge your own assumptions because your beliefs, they're called beliefs for a reason. I want you to challenge your own assumptions if nobody else is doing it for you. And I want you to really take a close look at your life if you are in a toxic environment and you do not see a way to report it, if you do not see a way to get out of it. I want you to really think of what this is doing to your years on earth. Is it worth spending another year in the environment that you're in right now? Or are you ready to take a step to take control back? If it means leaving, then start going on interviews. If it means staying, but doing something else on the side, then go and take action. But I want you to know nobody else is going to change your life except for you. To that point of changing your life and having agency, which I think is really important to remember, if people don't feel so inclined to enact change where they work, which is completely understandable, I would encourage people to have conversations with friends, with coworkers, people you feel you can, to get a second or a third opinion. I'd also like to underscore that from where I stand, I do think there are stressful and difficult workplaces that aren't necessarily toxic, and at the same time, toxic workplaces that employers or other people justify and rationalize even when they are legitimately unhealthy places to be, perhaps physically, emotionally, psychologically, etc., and it's worth calling those things out, if for no other reason than because you probably aren't the only person who's noticed that if these thoughts are recurring to you. And lastly, where I might be particularly social and interested to interact with coworkers, that's not always the norm, and I recognize that. And while to me a healthy workplace might involve relationships and camaraderie, I do think there's an opposing argument. And where toxicity and health exist in opposition to one another, there are certainly other descriptors of workplace culture. Maybe a barren, vibrant dichotomy might be more accurate. And lastly, to promote some empathy and understanding, if you've experienced toxic work environments or moments, we'd really love to hear those stories. I find that particularly valuable and potentially cathartic. And I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you, Ina, for sharing your insights and thoughts. It's really been a pleasure. It's been real fun, Kip. Thank you so much for having me. But as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we're certainly not the only two people in the world to work. So we'd love to hear what you think. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you'll receive exclusive perks like bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.